2: Get ready for an unbelievable experience at Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp in Los Angeles, where you'll get to jam with Chad Smith of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Noodles from the Offspring, and Nick Hexum of 311. It's Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, the most unique musician's experience on planet Earth. April 18th through the 21st in Hollywood, California. Perform the music of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, The Offspring, and 311 with Chad Smith, Noodles, and Nick Hexum. It's a Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp you just can't miss.
3: camp the podcast i'm miles schumann got brit lightning here our musical director and david fishoff our ceo we've been getting some good reviews on the podcast people are liking listening to it guys
1: yes but we still want more so write into us let us know what you want to hear let us know what you think that's right Read us, review us what
4: about our, our hosts? Pantheon partners. From Pantheon. Pantheon.
3: Yeah, we gotta thank our friends over at Pantheon Podcasts who have made this podcast much easier to do for us. And you know, that's something that people might be interested in too, is the backstory of this podcast and how it came to happen. I mean, David called me originally when I was I think I was a freshman in college when I originally got the call from David where he said, I want to do a podcast for Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. And for those wondering, that was six years ago now. And I'm and slow. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, so we started working on an original idea of it. And I remember, David, we were talking and you were talking to some people about it who said, oh, well, we need a a rock star in there as a co-host, too. And, Britt, you know, you hadn't really I guess you had been around the camps at that point, but not in your current capacity. And here we are six years later, the three of us, the perfect lineup, the perfect rock star.
1: (laughs) <laughs> and we're loving it. We're having so much fun We are doing having this. fun. we yeah. a lot
3: of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you to Pantheon guys who have really put us on the right direction with this. But we got to get into all of the good stuff that we got going on today from The Vault. We have a lot of good stuff from The Vault this time. And if you've been listening to Rock Camp the podcast, you know that The Vault is full of David's hard drive that has 90 terabytes of content from Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp that's never been heard before. I found something really great in there. Brian Wilson and actually, in this clip also is the late Jeff Foskett, who we talked about in a previous episode. We did a little tribute to him. But, you know, we're doing an interview with Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys in this thing. And all of a sudden, Jeff Foskett comes in and stops it. You just
0: state your name and the band that
4: you're
5: Brian Wilson with my band, Brian Wilson Band, and yeah. the Beach Boys. Yes. And
3: how does it feel? I
5: have to stop that for one second. He has to say founding member of the Beach Boys by law. So let's start that Uh, over, okay? Okay. I'm Brian Wilson, founder of the Beach Boys. And what was the question?
3: How does it feel to have all these campers playing
5: the music? It feels like a big honor to me. I'm very honored to hear all this great music.
3: David, from a business perspective, why would that be the case? Why would he need to be called founding member?
4: Well, there's been so many lawsuits between Mike Love and Brian Wilson right? that, you know, I don't know which one this is, you know, maybe number 117, yeah. or, you know, 118. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They've been known for having a lot of lawsuits against each other, and, you know, Mike Love uh, you know, I totally understand it, but he didn't get the songwriting credits that he really deserved. Mm-hmm. And I think that he did win them, in, you know, in later years, because he did contribute a lot of songs. And, you know, while everyone thought Brian Wilson did everything, Mike did a lot lot of stuff. And, and you know, they've they, they just been legally, you know, the father, Brian's father, just made so many bad deals. And there was such a mess with that band. So maybe Jeff was just protecting Brian and as what he does best. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, that band, they've had more lawsuits than, than most bands. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the history? Is Brian
3: the only Beach Boy that's come to camp other than, you know, I know Jeff Foskett and uh, a few people who have played with them have
4: come. Well, prior to you know, camp, Carl died and um, um, Dennis died. Right. You know, so they, they've had a real, real history. Also, the problem with, with the Beach Boy camps are the vocals are so mm. difficult you know, to do. And, you know, people get intimidated by vocals. You know, it's one thing to play a lead and a guitar and an acoustic guitar and drums, but vocals are tough. I mean, you know, I'd love to do a Frankie Valley camp. But uh, that, that's yeah. hard, the four seasons. <laughs> right.
3: The Beach Boys, I think people love them so much, though, that they'll come and they'll sound bad even, you know, they don't care. People will still sing it, I would they think. They were great. Yeah and, You
4: know, when Brian Wilson came And, you know, that's my history. My first rock concert I went to Was Chicago Beach Boys Really? And I grew up in my house Beach Boys, Beach Boys, Beach Boys You know, my brother was just crazy About the Beach Boys So, you know, to see Brian Wilson there For me was quite exciting And, you know, what was so cool was He did a concert just for the campers wow. He did an hour concert Jeff Foskett brought his band And they did an hour concert Just for the campers in S.I.R. I remember it was like a private concert Just sat back and 80 of us just sat and listened to that concert. It was unbelievable.
1: That's amazing. Although we were talking about maybe getting John Stamos for a camp.
4: Love to get John Stamos. That would be great. Or would
1: you ever bring in Mike Love?
4: I'd love to. Yeah, Mike Love did my first camp.
1: Oh, Oh, he he did? did? He
4: came to my first camp, and I told him I was doing it in Florida, and wrote him an email or called him. I forgot what I did he showed up. Wow. He was so nice that he came. Yeah. Yeah. Mike's been great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to reach out. I really want to do a a camp in in memory of Jeff Foskett. Foskett. So I'm working on it now. Absolutely. This is kind
3: of an interesting question to throw at you. I know we didn't plan for it, but we've heard a little bit about, you know, what kind of fantasies you put on for other people, but who's the biggest fantasy for you? You know, this is uh, like coming to camp. It's like, wow, this is, this is big for me as David Fishoff running the camps too. Well, I can't
4: talk about that. <laughs> 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 no, I, I, you know, I, I have to say Paul McCartney. He came know. to a camp. No, no, oh, 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 oh you, uh, of meeting him—that was your biggest
3: meeting him. Yeah, meeting
4: yeah. Paul McCartney for me was great. I've met a lot of people, but right. I, you know, I've always dreamed of having McCartney. Yeah, what's um, the story of meeting McCartney? And, you know, meeting him, I met him in '89 when I did my first Ringo tour, and you know, we shared the same publicist that Ringo did, and he said to me, my friend Joe Dara, he says, you know. You should come meet Paul. You know, I think he wants to meet you because you know what you're doing. Wow! So I got to go, went to a Broadway show, and he was doing a Broadway, a tour. He was doing a concert on Broadway, and I had the opportunity to meet him. Wow! He's so that nice, was, right? He's so nice. That Have you exciting. met him no. No. Yeah. Uh, in, my, in my head. From yeah, the interviews. Yeah. He's in Yeah. <laughs> he nice. Meeting we Paul was. <laughs> yeah. Right. I gotta say meeting Paul was probably the greatest thing you know <laughs> of yeah. all the rock stars, and he's still to this day probably my favorite. You, you met know. George a couple times. Met too, George. Right? Yeah. George. I met George a few times. And, yeah. And. I remember offering George to go on tour with Ringo, and I oh. said, you know, I met him at the, I got to hang out and spend some time with him when at the Bob Dylan birthday party. He, there was a the big concert. Wow! And I think Levon was there and the band. Did you got to meet Dylan too. Met Dylan, yeah, yeah. But you know, he's not his personality. Just right. You know, he's he's Bob Dylan. He's doing his own of thing. Course. But got to hang out with George, and 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 I recommended him. I said, why don't we do like twenty nights at Radio City, and you know, George Harrison and Ringo Starr and. You know, you could open and, and 10 and Ringo will open. Whatever you want to do. You yeah. know, whatever you want to do just to get you to tour. Because the only previous time that he toured was Clapton was touring Japan. And right. he invited him to come and said, you'll play with my band. And he did. He played with Clapton's band. Clapton's, each of those guys took scale. You know, they took uh, like $500 a show and they gave all the money to George. Wow. You know, that was such a, a an, an honor to have him. So they toured together and i thought wow maybe it's a good way to because there was a time where george you know needed money and he had gotten taken you know in the movie business by him and he, he needed money hmm. he was he was great he was sweet he signed a bunch of stuff for me That I was really nice and but he came to support ringo i mean that's what i really loved most about him when we we're in england and looked the side of the stage and there's george harrison he was there to see his buddy ringo were you still working with ringo when george passed Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
3: That must have been an interesting moment to be around for.
4: Yeah, I remember, you know, an interesting moment. I was at the, when that happened, I got a text that George passed. And I remember I was with the drummer of the Rolling Stones. Charlie, Charlie. Charlie Watts. And he was doing a show at the Blue Note with a big band. You know, he used to do big bands. And I remember backstage telling him that George passed. And I think he was upset at me because he didn't want to hear that news. And he didn't, you know... And I don't know why, I just blurted it out. And yeah, so I remember that wow. sharing wow. that news with him. That's history. All right,
3: guys, this is so much fun. Let's just take a quick listen to a word from our sponsors, and we'll continue it right after this. You know, a lot of fun stuff happens at camp, though. We'll move on to a a bit of a more fun subject, which is the time that we were talking about this briefly in the last camp of Grateful Dead's, or the last episode, Grateful Dead's participation in camp. And I found a clip from the vault that nobody's ever heard before from when Mickey Hart from the Grateful Dead came to camp. So we'll go ahead and listen to that right now.
5: It became a business. It became a huge business. You have to understand, a major corporation. We were making $80 million a year. That's a big business, I mean, in my world. And with that comes a lot of baggage and a lot of responsibility and also a lot of pressure. We weren't just a bunch of hippies on the stage anymore. We were still hippies on the stage, but it, 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 the families were dependent on, on it. We had hundreds of people as part of our, you might call our entourage, but it was our support. We had giant, you know, 20, 30, 40 semis, whatever it was, you know. It was a huge huge burden and so the jamming of course was uh, truncated and we didn't jam as much as it went on the jamming became less and less and less because the risk of failure was so great and the consequences um, our, our imagined consequences stopped us from doing what we did in the 60s so the only time we really did it was when we were Wild, young, crazy, and uh, fearless, and certainly Jerry's decomposition. Uh, It was very hard to see your best friend dying in front of you every night, and you couldn't do anything about it, even though you tried with everything you had. But still, he would eat a hamburger and look at you and laugh. You know, and you know it was very difficult. So. The joy, uh, not the love. Love was there because we were tied at the heart, and we were brothers, and we, we did everything together, and I mean just about everything. So, there there was a certain amount of loss of spontaneity. Absolutely, that's the, the, the truth, and of course everybody knows it. There's nothing. There's nothing. The historical record is well known.
3: David, talk about the business of, of the Grateful Dead and, and what this can do to a band a little bit. You know, a band starts out, it's all artistic, it's all just fun. And when money gets involved, that can really change the direction of things, can it?
4: Yes, and I remember the story Mickey Hart told me about, because I was asking him about the Grateful Dead. You know, it's one thing I get to ask questions. And he said to me that every night they set up his, they set up his gear. Whether he showed up there for, you know, he was out of the band, what, 10 years? I don't know how many years it was. He was out of the, but his band set up was, they set up his drums every night. So that when he came back in, it was all set up for him, and he just walked on stage and joined the band again. Hmm. How amazing wow. that was, you know? and yeah he was full of inspiration he liked what i did and he came and he came a few times he did the, the drum he brought everybody little drums and he mm-hmm. did a whole drum class with the, the drum circle oh yeah um another he, fun thing that happens yeah, at camp sometimes yeah, it was fun he he did the drum circle quite interesting really enjoyed spending time with him and then you know and then later years we, you know got to meet phil lesh yeah and he was amazing because you know I love Pilates, and he said he does Pilates four times a week, and he looked he looked in great shape. I said, well, I'll be his age if I can look like him. But yeah, meeting those guys, they're great. And you know the business, you know, unfortunately, the business is the business, you know, and so many people, so many bands break up because of the business. so many bands fight because of the business. You know, it's 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 t- it's in any business, any companies, major companies and things like that. You know, money has a way of just dividing people up. So and they grow up together and. You know, they get divided up.
3: Right. Yeah, so a lot of these guys have been friends since they were 13, 14 years old and then, you know, start a band and the the business messes it up. Britt, as a musician, have you seen this happen too where – you know, you see a band come out like the Grateful Dead, who's it's just so natural, and then and then the business just comes in and mixes messes things up.
1: Yeah, and sometimes I think that can affect you musically too, because then you think, oh, I gotta have a hit. You know, before we mm. were just messing around and it was a hit, but now we have to maybe be a little more formulaic and make sure that people, you know, like it. And then you, you I think you think differently musically to make sure that you still captivate the same people where you may not have cared about what the fans thought before as much, yeah. and so that can change. But I gotta say, I think the lineup with John Mayer lately has been really cool yeah
3: yeah the um, dead and co thing that they yeah, do yeah
1: that's pretty neat but y- then we oh go ahead no, no 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 oh i was gonna say and then so you had met phil before the relics
4: camp yeah oh no no phil lush <laughs> i didn't know i met phil at the at ah. the at the relics camp yeah i want to talk was about that relics
3: camp
5: yeah,
4: yeah that, that was interesting i find that and the, that's the, a camp with relics magazine
3: a, a partnership yeah and peter shapiro was great camp. we worked together on doing There's
4: that history with peter shapiro right? yeah i mean well Peter, he's an amazing producer. But I, I think what and he brought the dead back, you know, finally brought him back to Chicago, did all those concerts in yeah. Chicago, and he's written a great book, too. And he runs and he, owns, he, owns, he runs Relix, and he yeah. runs theaters. Quite an interesting gentleman. But I, I found that was a hard camp to do mm. because, you know, the jams, they— <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Phil lush, you know. Everybody wants to jam twenty minutes with them. You yeah, know? jam
3: means something else to the Grateful Dead. Exactly.
4: Yeah. <laughs> also, I realized that it wasn't a great customer base for us. You oh. know, and you know that. I mean, I was, I was when I introduced my speeches past weekend. Uh, the guy from he was, a, he was a deadhead, and he came, and he had to one hired me to go to Tampa. And I said, uh, Joe's the only one with a job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the Grateful Dead, you know, with a with a job. I mean, they're they're musicians. You know, people who play jam music, are you know, they're. It's a different type well, of audience. I was,
1: when I was uh, interviewing all those campers for that camp, yeah, how was I, that? I think every single one of them was smoking a joint. So <laughs> right, exactly, I, right? I, I was I, like, wow, I've never seen this. Yeah, before exactly, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. But I got to say, they were all really into the music and really good musicians. They yeah. all sang. They all did multiple things, you know, because they're in that, you know, oh, I'll pick up a tambourine here. I'll, I'll switch to vocals. I'll, you know, if they could do it all. But yeah, but that, that was a funny thing, too, coming up with set list times and things like that. Usually, you know, for a live set, you jam at least three songs in here. It's like, well, Well, if we can get one and we're lucky. Yeah, uh (laughs) yeah, exactly.
4: I was so naive when I started this business and uh, I think I was 28 years old and I pick up the band, the association, Mm. and I wanted to have a business meeting. And I remember calling, "Okay, guys, we're going to have a business meeting five o'clock and we'll do it backstage before the show. And the minute I start the business meeting, all they did was light up. <laughs> they <laughs> that's all lit what you up. Get at you the dead. Yeah, and that, that's the way you start the business meeting? Okay. That's <laughs> how you do it. Now we should talk about the other side of the grateful day. You know, they were friends, everything like that. Yeah. But we gotta talk about the monkeys. I just you know, this stuff my house now. And, yeah. And on Access TV, they're showing the monkey episodes. You know, number one frustration for me is why they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. Number two, I can understand they didn't grow up together, and there was an ad in the Variety. We're going to put this band together, but the hit songs. Yeah. And the way they, you know, first of all, MTV played them you know, back when they first started because they were the original video band. They were the mm. original video band. Their hit songs were incredible. They just never got the recognition, and they also never got paid, for, you know, for doing the TV show. So you know, they broke up because a creative differences with you know the producers uh, yeah. Mike Nesmith they wanted to write songs and they wanted to be more of a band but you know they wouldn't let him do it you know they said we're going to give you the songs that we're going to make you but but that was some band for those who don't know David reunited the Monkees
3: for their 86 tour and at that point the Monkees didn't have much of a presence at all right I mean I
4: watched a tv show yeah two o'clock in the morning I said to myself wow this is a band that I loved as a kid in the 60s let's let me bring them back and, right and they didn't own the name, so I had to get the name from Columbia Pictures, mm. and then I make a deal with each one of them individually. I think Mike Nesmith didn't like me till the end because I never asked him. I never asked him to go oh, really? on that tour in 1986 because everyone said to me, "He's not going to do it. His mother invented liquid paper, oh. and the white out." Which oh wow yeah, his mother invented white out. I didn't know that. I know and, cr- I know Christian Nesmith, his son. So I guess it, yeah, he had yeah, millions they- of dollars. They made you know he made a lot of money, and I think he was upset that, at me. Mike, because I never asked him, wow. you know, so he couldn't say no to me, right, and, <laughs> you know, yeah. and then when he caught, called and asked for tickets, to, he said, I want to show up to the Greek theater, and I want to perform with the band, and they said, I need 100 tickets, and I said, okay, you know, I'm going to send you a bill, you got to pay these tickets, because right. I don't have them, and the theater wanted, you know, he got upset that he had to pay for tickets, but, you know, it was a lot of tickets, 100 tickets, and the theater wasn't giving him away, and Davey said to me, you know, I said, Davey, what do I do? He said. Let him pay. He's just showing up to the Greek theater. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's not coming. He's not coming to Bumpak Ireland, you know, yeah. <laughs> Ohio, Ohio with us. You know,
3: and he's just showing up to the big gig. Wow. So, so th- that must get kind of interesting when you have to negotiate with each different member. I mean, yeah. Do they tell each other what they're what they got no, offered?
4: No, no. They all, you know. I remember Mickey Dolan said to me, and you know, my deal is my deal, and you know, everybody had their own deals. Yeah. And it's um, like a sports team. Yeah, like a sports mm. team. But eventually, we came together. And, you know, we did, and you know, the second year, there was all, you know, they, they, they shared it because they're more power numbers. Right. So, eventually, they went kind of friends on
3: you and said, it, it said yeah. we'll all take the same amount. Right. Right. Oh, wow. Interesting. That's interesting. But they're a
4: band that should be in the Rock Roll Hall of Fame. Their music makes you feel good. I'm a believer. Everyone loves their music. And I just think that- Why um, do you think they're not? I don't know. I think there are a lot of great bands that are in the Hall of Fame. How about Simon Kirk's game? Bad the, Company. Yeah. yeah, and Free. And Free. I mean, All Right Now, those songs. You're right. How come so, you know, I heard that Simon, it was best friends with, with the owner, the, the publisher of...
3: Yeah, um, the guy that got kicked out recently. For, yeah, from yeah, the Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah. Jan, Jan Wenner.
4: Yeah. Uh, uh, they Jan, were, yeah, they yeah. were best friends. Something happened, and politically, I don't know, now John Wenner's out, but... Still, uh, that band should be in it I mean, there's a long list of people Absolutely. That should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame And it's, it's, I don't know if to guess who are in it Do you, the, the, the no, I don't think so I don't I think mean, Randy more hit in songs it than anybody I mean, that's rock and roll to me Well, it's that's always early what rock drives Eddie Trunk crazy Is, you know
3: Guns N' Roses didn't get in for, or maybe I think Guns N' Roses did, but Kiss didn't get in until 20 years after they yeah. were eligible, and Nirvana got in on the first year, you know, so they, they're they weird over there. Yeah. yeah. What about at camp, the monkey? I know you said Mickey Dolenz has been to camp. Did you get any of the other monkeys at camp?
4: No, Mickey came to camp, you know, just as a surprise. I brought him in as a surprise, and he was great, and... People excited. You know, I just introduced them at dinner and said, ladies and gentlemen, oh, Mr. Mickey Dolans. <laughs> and they freaked out, you know. I had Peter Tork as a counselor. Right, which we've heard we, in the first episode. About, right. Yeah. Peter was a counselor. I wanted Davy, but he passed away. He yeah. came to my house. And I remember he came to visit me in my house. And we were really good friends. And I was going to pitch him that day to come and do a rock and roll fantasy game. And then a few months later, he passed away. And then Nesmith, you know, I asked him to do a master class for us, and he wouldn't do it. Meanwhile, he'll meet anybody for two dollars, right? And uh, <laughs> or three dollars, you know. But I think he was always upset at me, you know. Or a friend of mine called me because he could never tell me no. Right, right. <laughs> I'm not doing. I didn't ask him.
3: Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So everybody was just telling you, don't ask him. And so yeah, so I didn't ask him. Yeah, yeah. And he
4: never would have done it.
3: Yeah, right. He probably, in retrospect, he. Likes to right. think he would have done it, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. One of those.
4: And then, when did he do it? He decided to reunite with the monkeys when Davy Jones passed away. All That's of a right. sudden, he did the monkeys. You know, so there was always little, you know. While there wasn't business issues because they were all on the same monies, but but there were a lot of jealousy issues between you know bandmates, which is which happens too. Yeah. So eighty six is pretty close to eighty nine when you started working with Ringo. Was
3: did that overlap at all? The monkeys and Ringo when you were with the um,
4: two. Was did it overlap? Yes, it definitely overlapped. Wow. And I remember one year when I was touring the Monkees, and I said to Ringo, well, I'm going to be on, you know, I had I had booked the Monkees April, May, June, and he said, well, wait till you finish their tour, and then you'll do my tour. Right. And so for six months straight, I was on the road, and there was some overlapping. So I remember going to Denver back and forth. I was flying around the whole country trying to be... You know, my father says you can't dance the two weddings with, with a tushy, with one tushy, but I was doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: I, I know the, the struggles of being on the road, but what was your favorite part of being on the road?
4: Mm. Meeting friends at every show. Mm. That's yeah. what I loved. I love that five o'clock sound check. I can invite people. And I made so many friends. So I would love to bring, you know, meet friends in all my in all the cities. Yeah. And and then poor Ringo, he had to say hello to all of them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Rich, can I just bring in this guy? He's a really good friend of mine, and he was, you know. And to this day, people tell me, you introduced me to Ringo, you you know, and he never met anybody, you know, but, yeah. you know, I don't know. I just thought he was such a, Ringo, was so nice, you know, I'll take him in there and, and he was really nice to my friends and everything. But... Is that what people call Ringo that know him personally, Rich, instead of Ringo? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Huh. But but it was really funny. But yeah, that to me was fun. You know, I always had people in every city and, and then year after year and, you know, it was just fun to meet the same people.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and we were talking about that on a previous episode. How you see campers at every every time you go somewhere. Yeah, so. that
1: is one of my favorite parts of touring too. Just yeah. a, meeting people, meet and greets. A, you know, just yeah, you get friends all over the world. It's exactly,
4: cool. it's my seen, my I've p- seen every shopping mall. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah right. Exactly. Yeah. Ringo used to go to these these pawn shops. What not pawn shops? What are they call with secondhand clothing? A vintage. Yeah, vintage, He loved vintage yeah. stores. A lot of the rockers love to go to vintage stores. <laughs> yeah. to find clothing for yeah, the show you get that night. stuff there, <laughs> right?
1: Or old record stores. Oh. Record stores, yeah, and things like that. What's one that? of the weirdest uh, requests that you've had on the road to go do, to take your artist to or do something?
4: Well, I don't remember mine, but I, I, what comes to me is Barbara Streisand saying to her agent. Her agent was Rob Light at the, uh, from CAA. And I remember him sharing a story with me that she asked to go to a shopping mall because she had never been to a shopping mall. Wow. Yeah. wow. And she wanted to know what a shopping mall was like. So I think that's... Wow. I, I have to think about that. But, you know, a lot of crazy stuff. But You must uh, have had some crazy fan interactions, too. I mean, Ring- Beatlemania
3: still oh, exists. Crazy. It's, it I, follows I had to you keep everywhere.
4: Right. Security. You know, I have to always have security. I remember that I was in Denver, Colorado, and playing the famous Red Rocks, beautiful theater. Oh, yeah. And a security guard came over to me and said, you know, someone issued a death threat so i said to ringo's lawyer what do we do he said don't say anything don't say anything but i was acting all nervous and everything and then afterwards we told him what happened and he says you acting so weird around me and i was i was really nervous you know wow and then another funny thing happened with me was i was really security conscious that first tour or all the tours you know, around him you have to be security conscious. yeah and again I'll, you can make fun of me but and I don't care, because a guy was in the back at Jones Beach, and he was fishing with the sun. And I said, "Excuse me, sir, you have to leave because we have to clear the stage area. Ringo Starr is coming, and I appreciate if you leave and he's, my name is Roger Waters. I said, I don't give a fuck who you are. <laughs> you got to leave. <laughs> wow. And I I and he, he didn't want to start up with me and he left. Wow. And I, years later, I'm so happy that I did that. Yeah. Um, so happy I, Roger left. I'm so happy that, cause I, not that I love Nick Mason and I, and I think the band is great. Yeah. David Gilmore, but he's such an asshole. Yeah. And he's been that way toward the state of Israel and mm-hmm. to all these artists who want to work in, to want to go to work in Israel. He goes, he takes out $5 million. He, and then but anybody else who wants to go, whether it's the Lord or anything, he begs them, don't go and and he's such a troublemaker. So years later, I'm glad I threw him out of there.
3: He's an interesting guy. I see pictures all the time. He just rides the subway around New York and you yeah. know, people don't bother him because a lot of the kids on the subway. He's don't, not a don't nice guy. Him. Yeah, yeah, so I guess it's good they don't bother him then. Right. Well, we got a few more things from the vault here. We actually haven't played a clip from Slash yet. We've talked about Slash a little bit coming to the camp, but we haven't played a clip yet, and I found a similar one here on how he talks about how camp is similar to doing session work. Wow.
0: That's why I do sessions. It's just to play with people that I'm, I'm like, huge fans of. That's great. I'm a huge fan of more or people that I really admire and, and, and play with some
2: people that are usually pretty intimidating. Awesome,
3: Brit, is that a good way of looking at it? You know, from a professional musician perspective, as a counselor at the camps and everything, it is kinda like doing sessions in a way. It's
1: true, it's true. You're playing with people that you probably never played with before and you're not sure what's going to get thrown at you and the producer might say do something t- totally different than what you're thinking and you've got to be prepared and you've got to just be able to improvise and go with the flow which is the biggest thing at rock camp be flexible that's what we tell people too i always say that on the zoom calls you know right. just be flexible your bandmates might change when you get to camp you know anything could change yeah <laughs> anything is possible it's rock and roll it's, it's rock and roll, roll so yeah be able to just handle it handle it
3: Getting Slash to come to camp, that I mean, Slash is, he's the icon of rock and roll, icon. I bought a
4: ticket for $2,500 to sit next to him at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Really? No. Handed him my business card, and I said, Slash, I'd be honored if you would do camp, whatever it takes to get you to come, and two days later, he called me, and he came. Oh, you got above and, the noise. And, and I I got got above the noise. That's exactly it, above the noise. I bought a ticket, I knew he was going to be there, and I wanted, to, I wanted to introduce myself to him, and... It was amazing to see him. You know, I know he worked hard, but wow, what a gentleman he is. And, and just to hear his friendships with, with Teddy and, uh, you know, and all our campers and, 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 and counselors, he's just such a, a great guy. And, you know, he's just, he's really special. But I know he worked really hard, and I know people have been asking me, and I've, I've had a dream for him to come back to camp. And I hope one day, you know, I wanted to call it Slash's Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. Oh, really? Yeah. So after I met him, I just saw how dedicated he was. I said, wow, this guy would be great. Let's yeah. call. So I asked him, can we have lunch? And uh, when you get back in L.A., we did this camp, and he did the 10th anniversary for me. And I remember he called me. He said, uh, meet me at Cantor's Deli. And I said, <laughs> wow, he's taking me to a kosher deli. I'm going to go. That's so nice yeah. of him. And I didn't know. He wasn't taking me there. He goes there, and he, in the back room, the guy who— Mark Cantor. Mark Cantor. Yeah. He fed that band. Mark is yeah. so close with the Guns N' Roses guys that he fed the band during their their lean years, and that's what Slash said to me. This guy's my best friend. When I had nothing, Mark was there for me, and that shows you the type of guy he is. Mm-hmm. And his loyalty, his loyalty to Teddy and to all these people, and he's a, he's a great guy. But he he did work ten hours at Rock Camp. That was yeah. that was the hardest thing he ever had to do. Wait, so how did that meeting go when you
3: brought up the idea of Slash's Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp?
4: So he was really sweet about it. You know, we talked over, over lunch and and we chatted about it. And then you know he was doing a lot of other things. You know, I have to say something about him. I did the Grand Funk. I brought Grand Funk to do with a symphonic to play with the symphonic, make an album called Bosnia, and to play with the symphony. Mm-hmm. And he showed up, you know, at the Greek mm-hmm. Theater, and he used to show up everywhere to play with everybody. He's just like the consummate musician. Yeah. And you know, during those years that he wasn't with Guns N' Roses, he came to a lot of gigs, and he would just show up and play with everybody. So, oh, I, you cool. know, I give him a lot, cr- a lot of credit. He kept his chops up, and yeah. he's been through a lot. His book is great. He's ha- his life is great, and I'm so happy to see how, how he's back in the band, and and you know, they're touring and. Doing well, great, they're doing great,
1: they really are. And and they, play, you know, yeah, I guess he was tired after 10 hours of rock camp, but they play four hours a night, yeah, they play four hours a night, which yeah. is crazy,
4: right? Right,
3: Like so some I, stamina. Have you ever had any interaction with Axel at all? None, but Duff has come to camp, Duff's and he came to camp. to
4: camp, and he did our TV show. Steven okay. Adler's come for sure. Oh, Adler's mm-hmm. come yeah, yeah, he's been great And Gilby Clark
3: He uh, did a so
1: tour Oh, Richard yeah, yeah I have I that on the amazing.
3: list Yeah, Richard did one recently yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah yeah, how was that
3: camp?
1: Great Oh, that great. was great, yeah Yeah Yeah. It was, yeah. They're yeah. good yeah. tunes amazing. to
4: play, right? Are they hard? Are they, are they, they're, they're, they're
1: perfect They're challenging And they're fun Because, you know They've got just fun guitar licks Cool bass lines Like, everything about it Is just cool and fun But that reminds me I think now Next time we do a camp like that We should have dinner at Cantor's Yeah Well, I
4: do You know what? We would do a, a package at camp. We used to invite people to come in the Wednesday night before and, mm-hmm. and take them on a rock tour.
1: Oh yeah, oh, and,
4: that's fun. We always stop to see Mark Cantor, and he'd tell the story and give everyone books and give them rugalach because that's what he, uh, you know, yeah. that's that's what he has there at Cantor's Deli. And the irony of the whole thing is my daughter married his cousin, you know, and oh, wow. uh, yeah, so she married into the family, a cousin's cousin. But it's you hear great. that slash? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but that's funny. Get Ball soup yeah. yeah, isn't that funny? <laughs> slash, you know, his favorite place, his his best friend is Mark Cantor from Cantor's Deli. Yeah, but that's you, something else, you know so and like me and levon elm we were good friends <laughs> right, right right yeah and
3: uh, you know teddy zigzag is a regular at camp who toured with guns N' roses for many years there's a lot of guns N' roses people at camp and even even bumblefoot has become a regular who was in the band when slash was out of the band but he's amazing too i mean yeah. everybody
1: oh yeah he's real amazing we just did a master class with him he's you know he's got the multiple necks on his guitar and he's just crazy
3: yeah yeah i i always find it funny because you know Recently, as I've kind of been working with you guys more, and and I explain to people what this is, you know, my my favorite thing to say is, let me explain it to you this way. You know, you go to work, you have meetings with Jim and Sal in the office all day. I go to work, and I have to hang out with
4: Bumblefoot and guys named named Noodles and whatnot. So You know, we should talk about another great counselor that's coming to camp, and— I, I get excited about it. it was Derek St. Holmes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. He's a big favorite at camp. Yeah, yeah, and it was
3: Joe Perry who who kind of yeah, originally that was really story? excited, right? Yeah. Right.
4: Yeah, I remember getting a call from John Biannelli and right before they camp in Vegas, and he says, Joe wants to meet you. And it was a Wednesday night, and uh, we're going to be at a Guitar Center trying out guitars in Vegas. They were doing the residency. And uh, I show up there, thinking, "Oh no, what's going to be? You know, you never know." And you get that call, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and then Joe says to me, "Is is that Derek St. Holmes? Is he going to be at the camp? I want to jam with him." Wow, yeah, well, he's really yeah, he said, legendary. A, I mean, it's yeah, he really is. And, yeah, and
1: what a great guitar player. I mean, great
4: guitar player, great personality, and right. And he s- reminded me, you know, that his first camp—he was at my first camp, uh, ever? yeah, first camp ever—and wow. he met Mark Farner, and he met Mark Farner at camp, and and Farner um, hired him to go on tour. He toured with Mark Farner for a few wow. years. Yeah, he said, he said, David, I didn't share that with you once, but, you know, I built a great relationship at camp, and he's been super. Love having him. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Derek St. Holmes is awesome. And, and
3: you know, people are always interested to talk about Ted Nugent because he's such a controversial That's Brit's guy. That's Britt's friend. Yeah. I love Ted. <laughs> That's Britt's friend. But he did masterclass. He, 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 he loves I gotta, Brit. i got to tell you, <laughs> yeah. he
1: is one of the most passionate people. Uh, it was my favorite masterclass, I think, well, at least one of them. I mean, he's just so enthused. He's so, pa- I mean, he's almost like a kid when you f- first pick up the guitar. He's still that excited. Yeah. Brit, I music. just
4: came from killing a, uh, I got a beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said, you know,
1: I think I'm the only artist that killed. And eats and makes his own stage clothes from the
4: same animals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's he's t- Ted Nugent. You know, for me it was hard because you know I, I got threatening uh, emails. You know, yeah. I'm not coming to your camp. I lost a couple customers because of him. But you know, that's you know but too
1: bad. you have got to separate the music from from the, the person. totally. Yeah, exactly. You know, everybody totally. has views whether you know them or not, whether they make them public or not. You may not agree. Yeah. With, so
3: and you're really going to tell me those same people aren't going to tap their foot when Stranglehold comes on? Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Has Ted ever had Ted ever done a, a camp? So in I had
4: an interesting with Ted I booked him and then he got another gig that paid him more money and uh, so that, that you know that was hard for me because you know your commitments a commitment right and he canceled me we were just about ready to advertise it so we didn't advertise it so but but then with the master classes, I think he got to see what rock camps about yeah and he really got to understand it and he met Brit and he loved those master so
1: fun. we've done at least three with him too yeah yeah another one? and he's great with them so good so good
4: Yeah, he loves his fans. He loves his fans, and, and he's opinionated, so and he's very in, he's enthusiastic about whatever Love he's talking that. about yeah really so. enthusiastic yeah that,
3: that always makes it there. easier and I mean f- as a host it makes it easier too right I mean if, if you have to fill the talking time on those things it's great to have a guy like Ted who is just right, filling it up right but even
1: more so I mean you can you know be showing techniques and it can be monotonous and you know but but he's just excited like you know yeah. and as soon as you know you think things are coming down he just perks up with something else and so it's exactly and that's
4: all natural yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> exactly yeah, right? I know I know I he's never ever done uh, drugs
3: or uh, anything no yeah. 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 Well, yeah, so we'll have a lot of good stuff coming out from the vault and a lot of good stories to come on this podcast. You know, it's not so much from the vault. It's actually an interview that we did for this podcast not too long ago. When we first were talking with Pantheon Podcast about doing this, we got on Zoom and did a couple test episodes, one of which we did with Vinny Apicy, which uh, some of that interview will come out eventually. And the other interview we did was with another drummer who's recently passed away, and that was James Kotak. And we actually have what I believe is the last ever interview that James Kotak did unfortunately, so we'll go ahead and, and listen to a quick clip from that. What's your history with David in the camp? Where did you originally kind of find out about it, initial thoughts about it, all of that?
0: I first heard about it, and I thought, what a great idea. I, I was amazed somebody hadn't done it before. I mean, they had uh, similar ones, and I taught down at uh, Musicians Institute off and on for about two years, and I've taught privately a lot, so I've always really enjoyed that end of it, you know, communicating what I have and giving it away and and you know, anything to do with that. And I don't know how it really happened. I think David just reached out to me and I heard about it I went and I did it, I loved it. It was, it was just such a, a great positive atmosphere. And of course there was all kinds of people there. Zach was there and this one and that one. And it was just a really positive experience. So I was really thrilled to do it again.
4: If you had a chance to jam with a musician, Who's yours?
0: He's not around, of course. Jimi Hendrix. I mean, no, that he—he's way up there. I was never a fan when I was a kid. I had—I had the greatest hits tape, but it just grew on me. And our guitars for Kingdom Come, Danny was a Hendrix freak, so it was just always on. I—I I would have to put him at the top of my list, man. And there's of course Jimi Page. You know, God dang it.
1: Hey, and also in closing, James, I do this little lightning yes. thing where I call it the good, bad, and the ugly. So real quick, something good that you've experienced uh something bad which could be like anything crazy that happens on the road and the ugly which maybe it's like a, a deal gone bad or a contract misread or just any any little oh, tidbit and it could be quick
0: well the good is definitely i've i've been so fortunate to play with so many great bands of scorpions kingdom come and all the one of the albums i played on that's the really good the bad i would have to say our first tour of we we were scorpions was one of the first bands to play in uh to do a full nationwide tour of Russia, we did like sixteen shows. It was the first time we I mean, knew who knew, and that was in like 2000 2001 and man, the food—that was—I think that this is just off the top of my head. There's some other bad things, and then the ugly. Maybe it's too ugly to tell, but there, there, there's been some ugly along the way. I've, you know, I've been in bands where where guys actually got in fist fights. I'm like on. What are you going to hurt your hands? What's wrong with you guys, man? And they were they were out to kill each other. One was taking his guitar, swinging it at the other guy. I'm like going, ah. So there's been a few things like that. But for the most part, I'm very fortunate and very lucky and thankful to be healthy and cruising along. And uh, I guess that's it
3: interviewing james kotak he, he was really enthusiastic he was really in great spirits when we interviewed him and he talked about you know his recovering from his hip issue and everything but he's had a history with camp right you know he's come throughout the years and brit you know him and he that was my only ever interaction with him but i thought he was a really nice guy and i'm, I'm sorry to hear of very nice death.
1: guy and he was he was going to be a counselor at our last camp too and then he had an injury that happened right before but he was so excited to come to camp that's I yeah mean, he, he couldn't wait to come back yeah he loves teaching another one that's very passionate and enthusiastic about music so. yeah
4: well, away from that interview feeling great we all said that we all said that afterwards I think you know I mean I have to say that when we COVID was a really hard time and this was post COVID but COVID was a hard time for anybody in the live music business I mean even the any musician listening they couldn't work gigs you know I think I got through COVID and you got through COVID by us doing these master classes you know you were at your house I was at my house and And you know when we, we saw the passion that these artists had, and them talking about their lives and the careers, and and they they weren't selling anything; they had nothing mm. to sell. And just to hear them give their opinions, whether from Roger Daltrey to the band Sticks to Scorpions, it was incredible the stuff that was said. And then I know I'd call Brett after and say, What do you think? And we were just like flying high. Yeah. You know that we sold out these classes, and yeah. I think it got both you and I through COVID. Yeah, <laughs> too, right? Absolutely, 100 percent. Yeah, 100 yeah. percent. We met some great people too. I absolutely. I think we met
1: more people during COVID yeah. than in real life. <laughs> yeah, exactly, probably <laughs> exactly. We <Everybody> did. We <laughs> was <available>, Yeah, huh? <laughs>
4: yeah. Steve Howe from oh, Yes. Yeah. I mean, oh, what yeah. a class he gave, and it really helped in the end because a lot of these people who came to those classes eventually came to camp. You know, they got enthused about camp, and they, they. I hear from people all the time, but that was a time period where you know it, it's it, you know you're, you're running a business. All of a sudden, stop. Can you right. imagine people? Mm-hmm. And, and this is the way they, you know, the big stars didn't have a problem. They have the money. But all the sign musicians, they couldn't make money during that time. And a lot of these, you know, big names gave it—gave the money to the crew. And mm-hmm. yeah. and it was so interesting. But I have to say that that time period kept me...
1: Big time. I remember one specific, one of our, in our, like, first week of doing it, Felix Cavalieri... The yes, mm. and I just remember him. Wasn't he the
4: first one, or the or, or Mark Farner? Mark, Mark Farner was the first, and then was maybe, Felix is number two. I think so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I just remember him playing those classic hits like <gasps> it's "A Beautiful Morning" and all oh, those things yeah. ones, on the keyboards, and just I get chills thinking about it now. And I just remember feeling like the feeling of hope coming from from that.
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah we I think we got that from a lot of them. Yeah, you know, hope. and yeah, because they, they're just so passionate about their careers, and then you know, getting out the information about. The powerful, the song, the song, the song. Felix Cavallari, it takes two minutes to talk about him, but you know, we could do a whole session on him. Yeah. yeah, He is legendary. I mean, the songs that he wrote, The Rascals, and oh, so you know, they've been in movies, they're in commercials. You know, there's a band that broke up. They could never get their business together. They right. never could get it. That Eddie Brigatti and the lead singer, I have a contract. I have the only contract that they signed and they, to reunite wow um, and i remember that i wrote the because he reunited them later on in life the guitar player for stevie van Zant. he yeah. did a whole project with the rascals they might still be in a lawsuit they were in a lawsuit for many years between the rascals and him for i don't know what reasons but they he reunited them and i remember writing to him and said i just want to tell you i have all four god bless you're doing it i'm better you than me to reunite them that was a tough man to get along and felix was just he was the best of all of them you know he's he just wanted to play, do music and everybody else had other issues with him but you know not in the end but he's an incredible musician really his songs his voice still was going was that uh, oh yeah you really, that's right you went nuts over his song he was doing I, songs for us on the master I, oh that's was, so cool <laughs> we got to pull some it, of we those get a private concert we we yeah we
3: absolutely should yeah that, yeah, yeah. That we got to really get him back special. to camp yeah. yeah that's great that's great. Well. Yeah. Lots Especially. more good stuff to come on the podcast. I just got the sign that we uh, are running out of time here on this episode. at Rockcamp.com in general for future camps. We also got comedy fantasy camp coming up. Comedyfantasycamp.com. Make sure to check that one out too. And everything that. Yeah, you... wait.
4: John Lovitz is coming.
3: John Lovitz is coming. Jay Leno, Adam Carolla, Trevor Wallace, Caroline Ray. It's a great lineup. Everything that you want to know about rock and roll fantasy camp. Make sure to sign up for that newsletter at rockcamp.com. Thanks so much for listening. Rock.